Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. But talk can be enlightening. It's very rarely frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. All right, I'll do the usual little intro that I do. Which is a song? Theme yeah. song? Yeah, I'll sing. Have you heard the theme song? No. How's it going? Oh, my God. It's great. Uh, Dan Byrne wrote it. Really? And uh, <clears throat> when we first started doing the podcast, Katie said, do you want to do a theme song? I said, I know a guy who will whip one up. That's great. Uh, and it's so catchy and hilarious. And the first <laughs> version of it, this is the beginning, I guess. The first version of it uh, had my name repeated so many times. It was so uncomfortable to listen uh-huh. to. I said, Dan, this is so great, but just take my name out of Too it a few times. Did my name work, worked into the theme at all? Yeah. Everything rhymes with right. fury. Sure. Welcome to the Nerdist Writers Panel Series. In this one, we're doing a one-on-one in-depth interview about the life and career of David Fury. Uh, so there's no actual panel. Uh, a David, panel of one. Exactly. Thank you for being here and thank you for doing this with us. Oh, thank you for having uh, me. We're going to dig deep. Great. I was just saying how uh, everything rhymes with fury. Yes. What we never talked about, we, we, when we did our panel podcast, um, we talked a little bit about how you got into the business, but we didn't really get to talk about the pre-introduction uh, stuff, which is sort of growing up, I assume you knew you were a writer uh, from very early on. You were always a performer. You said always a performer. Um, I wouldn't have qualified uh, myself as a writer. Oh, really? As, yeah. I mean, I had aspirations to one day do everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, perf- I mean, performance was first, but I, of course, imagine myself directing and writing and producing. Who were you looking and, at growing up that inspired you to to do these things um, or want to do? These things? I really wasn't looking at anyone in particular. I mean, my heroes were probably more the comedians who wound up expanding their careers into other areas. I mean, um, I mean, one was general Steve Martin, you mm-hmm. know, who who later would write novels and 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 write some great screenplays. You know, like you know, um, like the Cyrano one he did. The, yeah, Roxanne. Roxanne, great. thank you. I can remember Roxanne. I remember Cyrano. <laughs> um, but, at rate, character. but at any rate, I, I, I really came at it strictly as a performer. I mean, it was it was acting that I loved doing and performing. And uh, but the writing ties into it because I think the first performing I did as a very young boy, was, my my father collected old comedy albums, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm talking about like Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner, mm-hmm. Two Thousand Year Old Man, and and he had um, one of his prized possessions was the button-down mind of Bob Newhart. Terrific album, and it's it's great. And um, you know, as a little boy, I was listening to this, and and I would start. Uh, I would just remember it. I would just memorize it. I mean, I don't think I actively tried to memorize it. Just listened so mm-hmm. often that I could do it. And it got to the point where my father uh, would say when they'd have company over, going, uh, "David, do the do, do the driving instructor, <laughs> you know, do the do the guy with the dog, you know, all these new hard routines." And I think what I was what I was picking up from from learning this and learning these routines, um, Newhart had a it was a brilliant 
for those of you who don't know what his standup was like, they were, they were, uh, you can call them monologues, but they were almost one-sided dialogues. He yeah, was having a conversation. Sketches. Yeah, they're sketches. And I mean, they're scenarios, but, but he played, he almost, he played the straight man to an invisible comic <laughs> character. Yeah. And it was in his reaction to that character, his deadpan, you know, Bob Newhartish way that, um, he created these scenarios and it was about, it, it wasn't about a guy being silly and saying jokes. It was about a guy reacting to someone else being silly and oh. saying jokes. And, you know, he would just repeat it back. You know, he would just repeat, you know, like uh, you know, talking to Abe Lincoln, you know, his press agent talking to Abe Lincoln saying, you want to, you want to change four score and seven to 87. <laughs> Why? You know, because it's easy to remember, uh, you know, or, However, the routine went. Uh, I used to remember it so well. Uh, but the point is, I, I learned a lot about um, performing from that. But I also realized that I had an appreciation for that kind of writing, hmm. human reactive comedy, and I think that informed a lot of the things I wrote. I, I wasn't, you know, when I was doing comedy, doing sitcoms, or doing stand up or anything. But I wasn't a joke guy. I was mm -hmm. more of a you know, behavioral comedy kind mm -hmm. of guy. And I think, I think I got that from, from those early experiences. So writing was really just, um, it, it was a way to perform. Writing just gave me an opportunity. Occasionally I would write something, but it never, it was never the goal of mine to really go after career, um, hmm. writing. I just thought it would happen naturally. When you were writing sketches, cause that's, you said the thing that first kind of got you noticed. Yes, uh, as, yes. As you were hoping they would notice you as an actor and they said, who wrote those sketches? Yes. <laughs> um, did they have that flavor of that new heart informed comedy in them? I think very much so, yeah. Do you remember yeah. what any were about? Well, I had I, one sketch was about a, um, a, it was actually influenced a little bit by an Edward Albee play, The Zoo Story. I don't know if you know, know it, that. but it's, um, it's, it's a man on a park bench who gets approached by another man who eventually goads him into killing him. Um, it's an interesting one-act play. But it was a man on a park bench who was accosted by a fruit fly. And um, the comedy was the guy, not the fruit fly to me. It was the guy reacting to this mm -hmm. fruit fly that was bemoaning the fact, in a, in, this was, I don't know if this is scientifically accurate. They only live for about 12 to 24 hours. Mm -hmm. So it was about a fruit fly bemoaning the fact he all these things I wanted to do with his life, you know, all these things about it. It's a sobbing, this is this crying fly talking about, you know, how I, um, you know, I always wanted to learn to ride a horse, you know, things like that, you know, or, um, and the, to me, the humor came entirely from the, the guy who has to, has to deal with this strange, of course it was a guy dressed like, you know, having big bug eyes and an antenna and, uh, but it was his, uh, and I got to do that sketch on the tonight show actually. Oh, really? Yeah. How um, did that happen? Well, we had uh, – I'd, I'd started a – I'd had a comedy group in New York, which I may have mentioned in, in, mm -hmm. during the panel, and uh, opened a West Coast company here. It was called Brain Trust. Our show was called Mental Cruelty. And um, we opened huge. I mean, it just – it was just one of those things at the right time, right place, right time. We opened and we were – we were the toast of the town for, for six months to eight months or something wow. where the, the show was running and they, 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 um, you know, everybody, everybody wanted a piece of us. I mean, I just, every door in Hollywood was open to us again, nothing for me as an actor, <laughs> <laughs> although I was spectacular in the show. I have to, 
but well, they, we'll get to your acting career right, in a but, bit. But the point is that uh, it was such a it was such a huge thing. And then the uh, talent, uh, the talent guy from the Tonight Show came. Uh, That's wild. And uh, what and was that experience us. like? Uh, it was a little surreal. It was a little surreal. And and here's the disappointing thing: this was when Johnny was still the host, mm-hmm. but. His special guest host that night was Jay Leno. Oh, come on. So, so I got to do the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson <laughs> with Jay Leno uh, as the host. So it, But um, it was very odd because they didn't know quite how to – they didn't do sketch comedy yeah. on, on the Tonight Show. So it was a very odd and something that, that works quite brilliantly on stage. Um, I, Jay didn't know – Jay didn't really get it because our the, my material wasn't joke heavy. Mm-hmm. And he looks at jokes and he's like, Absolutely. joke, joke, joke. That's the way he comes from. So it was more conceptual funny. I mean I was into a very – into what's conceptually funny, more Monty mm-hmm. Python kind of mm-hmm. thing, the argument clinic kind of thing. And that was something that I think uh, – so at any rate, we did it. It went over <laughs> fine. Right. Um we didn't ca- we didn't do the uh, we didn't get to the they sofa. didn't invite the gang didn't invite over. the gang over to do a big interview, <laughs> but um, but I you know I get a little thing on my uh, that's really my record. Neat. yeah yeah that's really neat. Another wow. thing we did not get to talk about is your name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> David Fury is not your name. Oh dear God, you're breaking. <laughs> this is breaking yeah. This is an exclusive. Exclusive. No one knows this <laughs> except everyone on the internet. Um, but I've no, never asked not. you about this. Oh, I'll, I'll and, be happy uh, to tell you. Yeah, please. Well, I don't know if I mentioned, but I was an actor. <laughs> and when I joined the uh, Actors' Equity, the Union for Theater in New York, um, tried to join them. They wouldn't allow me to use my name, which was David Shapiro. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason being there was another actor named David Shapiro. Sure. And you can't have the same – no two actors can have the same name. Um, that's why you don't see a lot of John Waynes out there, or a lot of Gary Coopers <laughs> and a lot of whatever. But um, – so, so I had to, I had to look for another name. I mean, I could be David Allen Shapiro, but mm-hmm. they had another David Allen Shapiro, and <laughs> and I so I can be David A Shapiro, but they had a David I Shapiro, and it was just very confusing. So mm-hmm. it became, I worked a number of years trying to find a name that I, that that I could live with and live with my career. And uh, the first one I actually did, I had a, uh, my best friend at the time was a guy named Chris, uh, so I became David Christopher. <laughs> uh, but then I started getting Dennis Christopher's mail, um, oh literally God. like, you know, like from, from, from the Screen Actors Guild. And, That's um, hilarious. so there was always confusion. I tried to be David Shallon, which was Shapiro and Allen, but everyone <laughs> hated it because it sounded like shallow. You seem shallow and Shallon. It's soft. Anyway, uh, flash forward later, I was with an agent in Los Angeles, my agent at the time. Uh, and we had had this little game of uh, trying to figure out a name. Like, I got to land with a name. I got to find something. And I was doing a small bit in um, John Carpenter's film, uh, Christine. Oh, really? Christine, yes. Stephen King thing. And I was uh, uh, I was working on that. And my agent and I were out to lunch. He said, well, tell me, you know, like, how's it going? Great. Tell me what's what's the film about? You know, and and at the time we were doing things like you know we're out to lunch and she'd go, "How about David Pepper? How about David? You know, have David <laughs> David Salt, David Saltman, David, you know, playing games." I said, right. "Well, tell me about the film, Christine. Well, it's about a 1958 Plymouth Fury," and she's like, "David Plymouth? How about David Plymouth? <laughs> you know, I'm like, and then it came to David Fury, David Fury, and I we I laughed about that because it sounded. You know, like I'm like a comic book name. I was thinking exactly. Nick Fury. Absolutely. But the other interesting story is the only other actor to come out of my hometown, which is Old Bethpage, Long Island, small, mm-hmm. uh, small town on Long Island, 
was an actor named John Youngs. And John Youngs had to change his name because there was another John Youngs in the union and he became John Savage. <laughs> and if you know John Savage from The Deer Hunter, oh, okay. um, Godfather 3, um, uh, and uh, when I was in high school and people knew my aspirations and saw me in plays, they'd say, hey, you're the next John Savage. You're the next John Savage. You know, I'd go, yeah, yeah, right. Um, well, here I, I was had a chance to be David Fury, and I kind of what tickled me was the idea of <laughs> Savage and Fury coming from little town in Long Island, all the page. So um, I, I tried it out. I mean, I just started. I went and David Fury. Let's see how that holds. And people just remembered it. They always remembered it. They always uh, always called me. Always knew right away. People got used to calling me Fury. Um, and I was, this was, I was very young at the time. I've been David Fury far longer than I was ever David Shapiro. Hmm. And, um, at that time prior, this is all prior to nine 11. It was very easy to just say, I'm David Fury. Let me change all my ID. Uh-huh. I didn't go to court. I didn't change my name legally, but I, my passport says David Fury. My, my, all my bank cards, my, my, my social security card says David Fury. Um, it was much easier then to adopt a new name for yourself sure. and to live under that name. And in fact, I gave my wife the option after we got married if she wanted to take Shapiro. Like, no, no, I'll take you know. Uh, so she or our kept kids. Her own. She kept so she kept her own name. Give and, her all uh, the options. That's right, Hampton, and uh, which isn't really her name either. But let's—that's another story Wait, for another what? show. Yeah, um, we're all phonies. We're all phonies in this town, Ben, and we all change our names because we're all, we're hiding from our past. You I'm not part understand? of Acker and Blacker. Are you kidding? I yeah. think I know. Yes, I, I know, Mister Blackerstein. <laughs> <gasps> yes. Revealed. Um, at any rate, uh, she did have the option to, when our kids were born, of course, like, well, the kids can take my old... No, no, we weren't going to do that to her. <laughs> um, so, um, uh, Fury it is. I'm that's really Fury funny. family, and that's, that's, that's the name I'm sticking with. All right. It's working. All right. It's working right. so far. And you know what? I like. I was always very... Uh, I wasn't secretive about it, but I just didn't, you know... I, just sure. did, I mean, it doesn't become an issue. But then uh, all I had to do was just go online and see uh, David Fury, born David Allen Shapiro. <laughs> I'm like, well, somebody ratted me out somewhere. <laughs> Someone on Wikipedia decided I'm going to tell everything. Well, it's funny. I I never really looked until I think until actually we knew each other. Really, you didn't look me up before we knew each other. You didn't just <laughs> no. To I mean, I, I assumed it was your name, and I thought this is so crazy. This guy has this awesome comic book awesome name, name. Yeah. and watching Buffy yeah. and Angel, and you see that name come up, <laughs> yeah, uh, and you're yeah. like, yes, this guy belongs on this show. Well, again, it, again, it was as a performer, and also it was as, as a comic performer. I thought I saw more irony in the name <laughs> than I did seeing it as being cool. I thought it was kind of like comically comic book Swags. ironic, uh, but it it does lend itself since I transition to dramas it it does lend itself to a certain cool factor i hadn't intended (laughs) um while we're talking about buffy oh were we oh yes we we are are now i'm gonna skip over some of the sitcom stuff maybe we'll come back to it uh but i think we're (laughs) done dismissively we're done talking about comedy (laughs) yes we are and my acting career go let's no we're gonna get back to your acting career um but i was recently watching rewatching a lot of these buffies and uh you know with an eye to to watching your episodes in anticipation of this chat um it was interesting to me that once you were sort of firmly established on the show, it seems like you were given a lot of the heavy mythology episodes. That's interesting. Uh, I think that uh, – I don't think that that was uh, something that was premeditated. I think it was mm-hmm. just something – it was just the way it fell out. Um, uh, I, the thing that was remarkable was the first – after um, – I wrote the first script with 
with my wife, right. Alan Hampton. And, uh, but the first script I wrote solo was for the um, third season, which was an episode that was called Helpless. Mm -hmm. And the thing that was remarkable to me, I, I pitched the story, I pitched a version of the story to uh, Joss and at that time, David Greenwell. And in my version, uh, Giles loses his job. He's fired by the Watcher's Council because he refuses to go along with this test uh, on Buffy. And uh, by the end of the episode, he gets his job back. They all is <laughs> forgiven. And uh, when they got sold in the story, and we, you know, we changed elements of it, but when we got sold in the story, they, Joss was delighted by the idea of firing Giles, hmm. and wanted to end like that's it. He's he's off the Watchers, you know. And as a fan of the show, I'd been watching it for the first couple of seasons. It was wild to me that I affected the mythology sure. of the show. That I got I got Giles fired from the watchers. <laughs> Giles was no longer Buffy's watcher because I pitched this thing that I thought, well, I, you know, we can't possibly do that. It was pretty wild at the time to see that I could, you know, that I affected this universe that I was already watching and already, um, uh, you know, and already enamored of Joss's vision sure. for it. That, uh, wow. So as things went on and, and I guess it would episodes, I think there was always some, some mythological episodes that wound up falling to me. I think often other people were drawn to specific episodes standalone. I didn't um, – I never campaigned or like went mm -hmm. after an episode. Well, I, I was going to ask about this because what was – do you recall who was in the room that for your first year, that third season? Oh, yeah. Uh, very vividly, yeah. And um, tell, tell me I can do it almost like in a Mary Lou Henner sort of way. I can, <laughs> I can go back to that day. It was a – I know it was a June. You, you can't I was not wearing remember. Blue. Um, I'm the rememberer. <laughs> yes. Um yeah, it was Jane. Jane. It was Marty Noxon, Jane Espenson. Uh, oh, you mean the very first time I came to work in the room, or well, when you were time? hired full time? First time, yeah. Well, that was Doug Petrie and mm -hmm. Jane Espenson and Marty Noxon and uh, David Greenwald and and uh, although Greenwald at that point was starting off uh, Angel the series. Mm -hmm. um, and but, so, were roles uh, sort of defined at this point? Were different people taking different kinds of scripts? No, no, it wasn't really done like that. But some people, I mean, Joss would often have an idea that he'd float out there. They says, I want to do this episode where, you know, for instance, it was an episode where uh, Jonathan, who's, mm -hmm. you know, minor character in the show, Danny Strong. Yeah. What if he was the star of the show suddenly? What if suddenly you just turn on the show and he is the hero on the show? And uh, it's a great, great episode um, that, that Jane Espenson wrote. Well, you know, when Jane heard that was the idea that Joss had floating, she had to have that episode, hmm. you know, or or Doug Petrie, I think, um, the Spike episode, there was going to be a Spike episode that where Spike admits that he's in love with Buffy, mm -hmm. um, Fool for Love. And um, I think that was the episode that he does that. But at any rate, it was, yeah, it, was right. it was just something that um, I believe that, you know, he he went for that. I mean, certain certain episodes spoke to people mm -hmm. and they wanted to do that. I was I really felt that I um I just took the episode when I was up net when I was up to do mm -hmm. it. I didn't I didn't necessarily I can only think of a couple of occasions where I I wanted to do an episode for instance um it was an, it was Angel actually. It mm -hmm. was I wanted to do there was a faith episode of Angel where she had she's in prison. We had established she was in prison and she was going to break out of prison to capture Angel had become Angelus again mm -hmm. his uh, evil alter ego Angelus. And um, yeah, I said Angelus, and that's the mispronunciation. It's Angelus. Um, that's where he lived. Uh, yeah. 
And uh, but I said, uh, I really want to do that. I want to do. I, I really want to do that faith episode. And I think that's the only time I can remember where I actually campaigned to do an episode. It's interesting that you jumped at that episode, though, because I was and again and looking at these ones that you had written very early on. Or that you were credited with the writing. Uh, I assumed you wrote most of it. Um, <laughs> I know uh, how these things work. Not now. really. I <laughs> no. I have people who write them for me. And um, I but, plaster my fake name on them. But the episode choices yeah. was a very faith intensive episode. Excellent, excellent, uh, excellent question or excellent one to bring up because I did not in any way construct that story. Really, I did write the script. Mm-hmm. It is my script. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is often the case. Pardon me? And this is often the case on, on any staff. Um, it, it, well, in this particular case, during the year I did Choices, that was the same year I did Helpless. And mm-hmm. I was freelancing that year. I was oh, not I didn't tec- realize that. I wasn't technically on staff. Um, I was actually a stay-at-home dad with my newborn twin sons hmm. um, and toddler daughter. And my wife was off working on Mad About You. She was still producing comedy and working on comedy. So I stayed home while I wrote uh, two episodes of Buffy and an episode of Angel the second episode of Angel. And uh, Choices was one of them. Choices, unlike Helpless, where I got to pitch a story, they brought me in and said, we have a story broken. We'd like you to write it. So I got to do, I mean, I got to put my mark on it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I got to to put my dialogue in there. It's my words in their mouths. But, um, and I got to write Faith and everything. But the specifics of that episode, I couldn't lay claim to because I didn't, that wasn't my story. That's very interesting. So, yeah. But um, it, it's so funny because, again, in looking at these episodes from that to Walkabout on Lost, it feels like a David Fury story. Well, <laughs> thanks. Well, I, li- I like to think that my voice comes out even when it's mm-hmm. even when it is something like a story I've been handed that that uh, and I think every writer wants to feel like their stuff, that there's there's something of themselves in it that people can recognize. And I do. I, I'm very gratified. I get that a lot from people when they feel they feel it sounds like me or that sounded mm-hmm. like me um, is great. I I um, I suppose I could have easily been part of a break for choices, but as I wasn't there on a daily basis, they um, they did that. But I do try to um, you know whatever I'm doing, I try to. I mean, I just write it the way I hear it in my head. Mm-hmm. The way I hear it in my head is my voice. And uh, I think so many people try to write to other people's voice feeling that I have to write like Joss Whedon or I have to write like, you know, Matt Weiner. I have mm-hmm. to write like, and I, and, you know, and, you know, to some extent they want that, but there's also an element of a way to, to also inform it with something of your own. And somehow I've been lucky enough to do that. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to skip around too much, but for example, in 24, uh, Again, I will admit. Not I've seen ne- an episode. I've never <laughs> seen an episode. Um, but it seems to me a very grim and uh, intense show. Intense, yes. Uh, were you able to put your voice on this show? Um, I don't think so. I would leave it mm-hmm. to others to kind of tell me. Sometimes mm-hmm. somebody would say and say, that sounded like you. And so there'd be a line, Chloe's line or something, it sounded like you. Sometimes it'd be wrong. <laughs> uh, I remember Damon Lindelof actually called me or, or wrote me and said, uh, uh, there was a line in, in the first episode, I think, of the season I began, season five, where Jack says something like, the only reason I'm, the only reason I'm not going to kill you is because I don't want to have to carry you or something like that. Mm-hmm. To some, or there was, and, um, and and Damon wrote these. Oh, that was so me. 
And I, I didn't write that. I didn't write that script. But uh, it, it's a good question because I did try in my first, uh, in my earlier attempts to write the show. Um, I think it was episode four or something where I actually wrote some scenes. Mm-hmm. I did try to inform it with a little bit of, you know, just the way I talk or the way I, with my voice. And included in that was a little bit of humor. And the response I got was, that's very funny. We don't do that here. You know, wow. so so I had to pull back. And it was a struggle. It was a great struggle for me for the, for the first year and a little bit into the second year of trying to figure out how to navigate, how to write, how to pull back everything that I, I loved about writing, about about spinning my own voice and, yeah. and just making it about the plot and making it about, you know, the movement, this, this runaway train that the, that the show is. And, um, uh, you know, I had to pull down, I had to call, I called it meat and potatoes writing hmm. because it was really, it was really just basic. And, uh, I think as time went on, I was there for five years. Um, I like to think that a little bit of me started to creep back in, mm-hmm. but, uh, again, I'd leave it for others to decide because sure. my soul was dead. At- yeah. Were you able to find creative satisfaction or, uh, you know, any kind of joy in that plotting in that story making in during that? Um, series? a little bit, but there's, there's something about really the real hook of it. And this is the thing I, I really got, especially when I was working for mutant enemy was how important the, the emotional story, how important the emotional story is. Mm-hmm that plotting and logic are not nearly as important as the emotional life of the characters. And about if you, it's finding those things that are moving. Um, and you, we'd find them once in a while. I'd be able to find them once in a while in 24. And, and, and um, there was episode, I know episode nine of uh, the strike season. What was that? I guess season seven. It was mm-hmm. the, the se- season seven was the year that got split up because of the writer's strike. And I wrote the first episode when we came back from the strike. The first episode written was was mine. And uh, I got to put a lot of emotion into it that I hadn't been able to before. And, hmm. and I was able to get a little bit of, get a little bit of that in. But uh, ultimately, the satisfaction is it's hard. It's hard. It, you know, you have a certain intellectual satisfaction. Right. But the, there's there's just seems to be something missing. You know, it's it's. Satisfaction of your head, but not your heart. Mm-hmm. You know, and, yeah, that makes a lot of and, sense. You know, it's like any kind of, and and I won't speak over speak this. It, in any kind of art, you you want you know if you feel you're an artist, and I don't feel I'm an artist. I'm a feel I feel I'm a hack who aspires to be an artist. <laughs> so I look for those moments where I go, oh, I think I got close to art there. I mm-hmm. think there's something artful about that. And I don't think there's any art to plotting. I think the art comes out of the voices of the people and the. The, the what the actors bring to it i think that's what that's what it hmm. comes from um yeah ben and i always kind of say we are uh, craftsmen you know we are carpenters we can make you a really nice bookshelf ultimately it's still just a bookshelf it's a practical thing that you'll throw away when you're done with it you just have an exercise <laughs> that emotional muscle that you guys have <laughs> and when i say emotional muscle i think you know what i'm talking i about. think i know what you mean okay um let's talk about uh your first directing credit all right which was uh this buffy episode Gone, yes. Uh, had you had you had as a youth 
look to be a jack of all trades. I do. <laughs> um, I, do. I like so to was... think of it as an auteur, but you can just <laughs> dismiss it as jack of all trades. No, again, yeah. you're no. a craftsman. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> listen, you're not Ingmar Bergman. <laughs> um, but this is a great episode. And and was Thank there you. something in this that you knew you wanted to direct this one? Had this been building towards you directing an episode? Uh, it it, it had been be? building in the sense that I had had lunch with Joss and said, can I direct an episode? And he said, <laughs> all right. And uh, it, it fell to being that episode. Um, I don't think we knew what the episode was going to be at the time mm-hmm. that I, that Joss was gracious enough to let me direct. Um, and as it started to come together and Joss said he wanted to do this, this invisibility episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I delighted in that because I kind of went, well, my first directing episode and I'm directing like invisible. <laughs> well, one of the prime things that I was looking forward to was directing uh, a fight scene between an invisible Buffy and three invisible villains. <laughs> and so an entire fight scene would be shot with invisible people. Oh my God, so you'd have whip pans and, and uh, you know, and sound effects. And, and it was in a, like a, it was like in a game place, a, you know, like a pinball mm-hmm. uh, arcade. Yeah. And you'd see a, you'd, the camera would whip pan to a, a pinball machine. You'd see it collapse because <laughs> somebody had obviously been thrown on top of it. And then, uh, and I just, oh, this is, this is delightful. This is one that I really, really love directing. That's great. And then by the time that came around to direct that, uh, I didn't direct that part. Uh, Are we, you kidding? No, no. We lost, we lost some time. There was a little bit of a, it was a little bit of misunderstanding on the set where uh, Sarah got mad at me. Uh, about I think something. you told the story. Yeah, the I, I, did I? Did I? Yeah. Well, then I'll tell it again. Uh, <laughs> We're actually going to have it illustrated and <laughs> do a little cartoon. Uh, about yeah. It. So uh, at any rate, so she was. Uh, so anyway, the, the time we lost doing that, and and then uh, much more sadly, uh, a coworker, uh, one of the office people in the office, passed away. Oh really? Um, who had been ill. And her funeral was in the middle of my shooting the episode, and it, it there was just a lot of issues. At any rate, it mm-hmm. wound up falling to uh, David Solomon, who was our second mm-hmm. unit director. He was our resident dire- director, resident yeah. director, and he directed second unit for the episode. He went up doing the fight scene that I was dying to shoot, <laughs> but uh, I did get to shoot uh, some other stuff, including. Uh, Including Spike having sex with naked Buffy, right? Um, which was interesting <laughs> to to see what that's like. Cause how Jane, do you how do you direct that scene? Well, <laughs> uh, very carefully. Well, just the um, you know just the idea that uh, James was so free, James Marsters was so free with his uh, nakedity um, <laughs> that uh, you know it sort of set the tone for the whole for the whole thing right there. Um, oh. it was, um, let's just say it was a, it was a great, great learning experience. It was a lot that, um, a lot that I got out of it. Mm-hmm. I think the episode came out pretty well. Okay. Well enough that Joss, I mean, I did not ask for this. Joss asked me to direct another episode in the yeah. next season. Um, I think, uh, and Marty Noxon may have something to do with that as well. Uh, so were so. you, were you eager to direct another episode? I mean, you know you what? It was a little bit, it. well, it's really funny because of, because of, you know, I'm very, I'm very hypercritical of everything I do. I mean, I, I, I basically, and the, the, uh, the mistakes made. I mean, the, the issue with Sarah, the, you know, I, I just felt I failed. I just failed miserably. Mm-hmm. I was miserable about it. I felt like, oh, I had an opportunity, and, um, you know, I just, oh, this is like, and uh, boy, I just feel bad. And I don't blame them if they don't want me to do another one, but. Um, they seem pleased with the results ultimately, and they—that's they, a really they good episode. Well, 
Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I mean, I, I it, it, it takes time for me to, you know, separate myself and to mm-hmm. enjoy it. It not was far. my, and not to jump to it. I know you're jumping around, yeah, but yeah. not to jump. But the, it, the second effort of directing mm-hmm. was a much, much, much more pleasurable. And it was a much more confident experience for me. So how so? Um, well, uh, I mean, this was a, another really heavy episode. It, it was, but you know, all as heavy. heavy. Uh, well, oh, you mean, you mean in the sense of, uh, as far as the content, Com- yeah, I mean, but, but as opposed to comic or lighter episodes. Yeah, I mean, it didn't have an invisible fight scene. <laughs> no, it did not. No, it did not. Uh, and this was at the end of the series, right? Uh, I was toward the end. Yeah, I was like six, 16 or 17 or something. And it was, last, as, last as I recall, I, I didn't rewatch this one, but as I recall, it's a Spike-heavy uh, yes. sort of origin. It was, yes. It was another opportunity to revisit Spike um, prior to his vampire ring, mm-hmm. his being sired by Drusilla. And uh, it was a reunion to bring, you know, Spike and Drusilla was such a, a great pair sure. of villains in season two. And, and I didn't get to work with them because uh, by the time I wrote an episode, they were, they were sort of, they were off it at that point mm-hmm. or they were, they were just off camera. So I didn't get to work with them. So the idea of getting Juliet Landau back with James Marsters in this do with I, I, you know, they were I, to me they were iconic. So getting mm-hmm. to direct them, and what was a pleasure was directing James was a pleasure. I mean, actors. I was able to. The thing with invisibility is you can't work with invisible people. Sure. You can't give <laughs> invisible people direction. Uh, visible people you can actually talk to as a as a fellow actor and 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 being able to draw performances out of them. Mm-hmm. And and, uh, and James was great. You know, Juliet and just everybody on the staff, the, the actress, and forgive me, I can't remember her name, who played his mother, was great. Um, Spike's mother. Mm-hmm. And it was just, um, it was just, a, it was just, and I was just more comfortable. I mean, it was, I wasn't mm-hmm. quite on edge as it was, uh, you know, the nerves weren't quite as uh, strong as they were when I directed Don. Interesting. Did you learn anything from these directing experiences that informed your writing afterwards? Um, no, <laughs> I can't think of. No, I'm. I'm still. Well, I'm still of the opinion. Here's. I really still come at it. For, you know, it's funny. I come at the writing from an actor's point of view, really? and I come at the directing from a writer's point of view. It's like I'm. How, tell tell like, me how the, well, each of those works because well, very interesting. Well, because directors, you'll find a lot of television directors, um, and I haven't worked with a lot of film directors except for the ones who direct television. Mm-hmm. But uh, very often they're more into their shots. They're, they're more into the finding the really cool shots, and they're spending less time dealing with the story. You know, they're not dealing with the story as much as they are the, um, you know, the angles. You know, mm-hmm. using using you know, like I want to I want to come in swooping in here. I want this. I want you know, I want them silhouetted. I want this in profile. And you you suddenly go, wait, if that's in profile, we're not going to get the look. We we want to see what's going on in her face. We're not going to get that. They don't often think about that. They're also they, they, and some directors very frustratingly don't do coverage. I mean, part of the thing as a director sure. is, you have to get close-ups. You know, different sizes. You should get. Otherwise, you're committed to okay. It has to be cut this way. You know, that's great if you're a film director and it's your movie and you're on a tour and you can do that. But it's not great if you're a television director, and you really need to be servicing. Uh, or serving servicing is something else <laughs> serving the interests of the showrunners you want to give them options you want to provide them with options and um, I came at directing from a storytelling standpoint I mm-hmm. wanted to tell the story 
the best way I knew how to tell a story. It was less interest. I was less interested in the really, I tried to bring cool shots in it. If it enhanced the story, not if it just showed, gave a, gave me a good reel to then present somewhere else and look how well I direct. We've worked with a lot of directors. I've worked with directors and working out with directors on our fringe who can shoot a beautiful, beautiful shot and can completely miss the point of the scene. Hmm. And that's the most frustrating thing. Cause sure. Joss, that is something he would never have allowed. He's, he was, he, he didn't allow the actors to change a word of the scripts and he didn't allow the directors to, to vary from the intent of what the scene should be just for the sake of, you yeah. know, their own, uh, their, vision, their own stamp their, on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, while we're talking about all of your uh, many talent, let's talk about this acting, jack of all trades, this acting my, career, my three trades, uh, which yeah. you got an opportunity on Buffy and on angel and, uh, a, a few times since to, Act in in these shows and prior and prior. Well, there's on some sitcoms too. Yes, but um, yeah. But I was yeah. watching uh, uh, Edlin's puppet uh, Smile Time. Oh, Smile Time. Which yeah. you you were like a guest star in that. That was a, uh, that was a sizable te- part. Yeah, yeah. Well, technically a co-star because they don't want to pay me as a guest. Star. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, it started the the, the thing actually started with uh, Tim Minear started it. Tim Minear mm-hmm. on uh, he was directing an episode of Angel, in which. Um, he just envisioned me as this uh, – there was these two guys trying to sacrifice a goat and reading off a manual how to sacrifice a goat when, when Angel shows up and beats them up. And he saw me. He just saw me. I mean I, I had made no overtures. I had is never said anything. Is that flattering? It is flattering. Well, it's flattering in the sense that Tim, Tim – I, I love Tim. We delighted in each other. We just mm-hmm. found each other so funny and so engaging and we love talking to each other. And then just, 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 you know, I could make him laugh no matter how things were, how dire things were at, oh, so at some really point cool. or things. So, so he enjoyed that. And so he, he cast me in that little part. And I, I was, I was grateful for it because I thought it was, it was fun that someone, you know, it's always, I'm always grateful when people like are reminded or somehow see what I used to be and, <laughs> and want to use me as that somehow. You know, I, I, uh, I mean, for instance, I'll just go off tangent for a second. Yeah. But like somebody recently wanted me to go to a sitcom. I haven't written sitcoms in, I don't know, 12 years or something. Mm-hmm. And there was a sitcom that wanted to hire me. I'm, I'm always gratified to hear That's that great. people still recognize the different, you know, you mm-hmm. can get so pigeonholed in this business. So when people find an opportunity to use you in other ways or recognize your talents in comedy or your talents in drama, you talent, but as an actor or as a singer, you know, mm-hmm. as I think you have. Absolutely. To some yeah, no, you, um, you and your wife both have uh, joined us on the Thrilling Adventure <laughs> Hour. Yes. Uh, and been terrific. Well, thank you. I mean, we again, we, we didn't know you. Uh, until you came to the show, and then yeah. we yeah. put you in. Oh, can this guy do comedy? He's a drama writer. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to perform comedy and sing a song. Uh, and you guys were hilarious. It's madness, madness. It great. Uh, uh, but I want to get back to that. Yeah, let's get back to him. Sorry. So, but, so smile time. Smile time was another. Ep- uh, this was funny. I was directing. I was directing the hundredth Angel episode. You're welcome. At the time. Um, I like to say <laughs> oh, the thank 100th. you, thank you. It wasn't my hundredth episode, but yes, and thank you very much Is for those of you. Mean? You're welcome. <laughs> Yes, I was waiting for that kind of response, absolutely. <laughs> but I'm in the middle of that, and Ben just suddenly shows up. I think Ben showed up at uh, the set, or um, or I somehow stopped in at the writer's offices, which were across town, for something. And he said, I want you to do – I have a part for you. I want you to do this thing in Smile Time. I'm like, what? Yeah, you're playing – you're going to play this cross between Jim Henson and Santa Claus. That's how he <laughs> described it. And I went, I'm there. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm your man. <laughs> but again, another brilliant – I mean – 
I was complimenting Ben. I'm not brilliant. Uh, <laughs> another, ben, brilliant ben, performance another brilliant, brilliant performance by me. No, Ben. Ben was another guy who was just who I just mm-hmm. I just delighted in his. He, you know, he's he's another mad genius. Yeah. I mean, Tim's a genius in his own way, <laughs> and but Ben's a you know just crazy genius. <laughs> and uh, the fact that he wanted me to be in his opus, the Smile Time opus, was was, really cool. was very gratifying. Yeah. Um, and then I, I have to say that uh, as far as the <laughs> As far as the musical episode of Buffy, yeah. where I think uh, you may have mentioned, or we're going to mention, uh, that was uh, I just said, "Hey, can I be in this, Joss?" <laughs> so I, I can't say like Joss said, "I must have fury in this." <laughs> it wasn't quite like that. It was he already he had he had uh, earmarked Marty Knoxon for the mm-hmm. parking ticket lady, and I just said, "Is there anything for me?" And he and he just went, "Sure," but I don't so think he funny. knew. I don't think he realized at the time that that's what he was going to do with me. But uh, but you? then Doctor Horrible later you also appeared. Doctor Horrible that will say that was that was yeah that was conscious on his part. Then he said, <laughs> "I want I want fury and." And, and Marty to to do these parts. It was a nice there. little wink, but also you it guys was. Were, it was you got beautiful. to sing, and you I both sing beautifully. Great. It was really it was funny. Great. Dr. Harble was great. I mean, Dr. Harble's great just because it, it really, I mean, it, it is a labor of love. I mean, mm-hmm. Joss, this is, the, this is the thing he puts out. Joss puts out, uh, Joss really puts out, by the way, I think it was interesting. <laughs> um, now, what he, uh, on the show is that he really genuinely loves he loved those characters on Buffy. Sure. He loved living in that world. He loved it. I've worked on a lot of shows with people and you know shows they've created, and they don't really care. They're not <laughs> really that invested in these characters. Um, and I can name names, people. So um, <laughs> if you want to ask me. Well, who, I think it's so interesting because I bet the viewers could name names also. I mean, you can yeah, you really make, I think tell right. when I've, the creator cares Deeply about the characters, right? I mean, you could uh, very easily like a point to in terms of naming name. I mean, just look at twenty four. There, there was the the era came on. They killed about three or four beloved characters. Yeah, and I was there. I was the new guy on on staff, and I was fighting. There was one more character that was going to die by the end of the season, and I I I fought to keep him alive. Um, did you succeed? Aaron Pier- I did. Aaron oh, Pierce. I, I, I credited <laughs> myself with saving agent, special agent Aaron Pierce of the Secret Service. You're American hero. Glenn, Glenn, I am. Glenn Morshower. <laughs> great, great, great American. Um, and uh, just another, just because we'd killed off these characters, and I, I saw, and this was kind of baffling to me, that, because uh, I'd come off Lost just the first season, and those characters hadn't, I can understand how those characters may not have sunk into everyone yet as mm-hmm. beloved. The lost characters. The lost characters. Mm-hmm. But I mean, but off Buffy and Angel, I thought there was a lot of affection there. Sure. So coming to 24 and finding there didn't seem to be a lot of affection for the characters. They didn't seem to really, they were just plot. They were just fodder for sure. the, for the, for the factory, for the machine. And uh, that was one of those soul killing things that I just kind of, uh, just kind of went, I want to love these characters. And I have loved these characters. I was a big fan of 24. Hmm. And killing them like we did, as shocking as it was, it just felt it just felt kind of um, sometimes it felt arbitrary. Mm-hmm. And I will say that that Joss never killed a character arbitrarily. No, he, he earned every one of them. Whatever, no matter how shocking they were, it you know he gave he gave the episode that allowed us to mourn the character, even if it was an, even if it was an, and I'm not even saying this was the case, but if it was an actor who pissed him off and he killed him off. He 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 loved the character so much they wouldn't just write off a character. He would he would they meant something. They meant something in the scheme of things. Absolutely. So and, and I bring I only bring that up just yeah. to, to follow that thought about Doctor Horrible and everything. That was a situation where you just see that that's that's just doing something purely for the love of it. 
You know, I just did extra <laughs> atmosphere work and he's shooting something now that he's just doing. I mean, he's between doing the Avengers and his next <laughs> giant thing, he's shooting something just yeah. because he loves it with his friends. Yeah. And, and it really is an amazing, it really is an amazing, unique thing that, 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 um, I just fills me with, uh, with a lot of just hope and warmth for, for, um, for that kind of artist, for that kind of yeah. thing that you don't often see in a very cynical business. Absolutely. This actually leads me to a question I was going to get to later, but I, I notice, you know, you, you respect this affection for the characters, this love that the creator has for the characters. And even working with you briefly when we were working on uh, the Sparks Nevada stuff, you know, you, you were teaching us uh, how to make these characters whole people. You know, where we had been dealing with them for six years and they were very real to us, but how to get that across. Um, there's no created by David Fury program. That's true. Uh, That's true. Why not? I'm, I'm really lazy. <laughs> um, I have, I have, well, you know, I, I've been very fortunate in that I've always been working. I've always been working. I mean, I, I mean, for as long as I can remember, I've been working. And, uh, and a lot of the most creative ideas and shows come out of people who aren't working, you know, who have the time to develop, who take the year off or mm -hmm. two years off and develop something. Um, it's often hard to do that when you're working on a show um, that requires, for me, requires a lot of attention. I immersed myself yeah. in the shows I work on. I immersed myself in Fringe, for instance, which I'm doing now. And um, I sort of had to anyway because there was there was a – there was, there was a thought to develop this year for me to finally do my own show, mm -hmm. and uh, Warner said, "No, we need you full time on really? Fringe. We can't. We can't really afford to. So, we need just to commit to Fringe this season. Hmm. So, that put it on the back burner. But I have to say, Twenty Four, for instance, that was a show that uh, I did for. As I said, I did for five years. It's um, the years overlap. The seasons overlapped each other. That's we were doing oh, sure. not just twenty four episodes." Which is a lot, but the lead up time to, to, to doing the beginning of the, the writing of the first four episodes to conceiving the season to, to figuring it out always took much longer than mm -hmm. usual other shows that I've done. So we wound up doing, I, it would basically be a 14 month schedule for se per season. So while we're spending the last two months finishing up one season, we're already starting to talk about the next season. So what I'm getting at is there really wasn't any hiatus or downtime for me to go, hey, let me put some thought to my own show or, yeah. or something that I'm dying to write. Um, so I, I didn't get the opportunity then. But but to be perfectly frank, um, I haven't really I haven't really felt a huge urge to do it. Hmm. Um, and part of the reason is I think um, – I have a family, and uh, as, as a lot of writers do, but I happen to really <laughs> love hanging with my family. And to really create a show and really see it through uh, and show run it and everything else does require um, a huge time commitment. Mm -hmm. it, is, you, it is working long hours. Sure. It is working weekends. And uh, it's, it's a very, very um, – it's just very time-consuming. And uh, I'm only partially serious when I say, uh, uh, or partially kidding when I say I'm I'm, I'm lazy. Uh, I'm just not the guy who wants to stay up till three in the morning or get up at four in the morning and start banging out the next episode of something, hmm. you know, to stay on stay on target. 
I, I right now I'm enjoying I'm enjoying playing in other people's playgrounds if they have the right playgrounds. Twenty four may not have been the perfect match for me, but it was a good job. I mean, it was a it was a good working environment. It mm-hmm. was one that that I, I appreciated and I I did I did enjoy the show. But now I'm working. I'm back with Fringe. I'm back in the kind of environment that Lost provided me, that Buffy and Angel provided me, where I can let my imagination run free and I can I can do some really interesting things. And I'd hate to leave that because because of my ego saying uh, hmm. I've got to do my own show. I mean, when Fringe ends and it could end this season, kind of thing, I'll find myself an opportunity to say, "All right, is there something else out there that would afford me that freedom? Would I have fun doing another show?" Um, in somebody else's playground, or mm-hmm. is it time for me to create my own? Um, and uh, that's where I'm at. And uh, you know, you're you're a valuable asset to these playgrounds that you've gotten to play in. Well, that's uh, thanks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, thanks. I, say, been, I say that as a fan. Oh, I, I appreciate that. Seriously. I appreciate that. Well, I, I I feel very fortunate. I mean, I've I've been on a few shows that I know have been through a lot of different writers, good writers who couldn't. You know, some writers can do certain kinds of things well, and they don't work on some. They work great on one show, and they don't. And I never know what's going to work. I mean, I, I once I got to Buffy and Angel, that was a transition from comedies. I went from sitcoms to Buffy, which was you know comic, but but um, and Angel was a little more serious. But but the idea of transitioning to uh, something serious, the you know something serious was. Uh, you know, I really forgot what I was going to say here. <laughs> I forgot. You know, I'm listening downstairs to everything that's going on down there. Then that's a perfect time to wrap up. Oh, okay. Um, right. Let me leave you with this. And we touched on it uh, at the beginning a little bit. But uh, when people say to you, that's your voice or I saw you in that, what do you think that that David Fury uh, thing is? Uh, wow. <laughs> Uh, defining your voice—that's I don't know. I I I know it. I know there's a sense of humor in there. I know I try to. Inf- there's a certain sardonic sensibility that I think I try to add to things that I feel like I share. Um, you know, when I think of characters that I wrote, like Xander, you know, and Buffy, Xander's voice was the voice I like. I think that I have the guy, the the kind of wry outsider. To, to what's going on, the one who, you know, is invested but can be, you know, kind of self-deprecating and and uh, how it comes across in other things, I'm not entirely sure. I just know it's, uh, you know, if I was playing the scene, if that was me up there playing the scene, that's probably the words I'd be saying if I was improvising that mm-hmm. scene. And, uh, you know, that's – and I, I just put those words in somebody else's mouth and it comes out right somehow. It's writing as an actor, right? It's writing as an actor. <laughs> well, writing thank as you. a writer, and one day I'll, I'll, I'll paint as a director. Someday. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for being here, David Fury. This was uh, very illuminating. Thank you, Ben Blacker. It's been a pleasure. Now leaving Nerdist.com.